0: Reminder, everyone, of course, you can catch up on any sermons you've missed on SoundCloud. And Dennis, you had a wonderful suggestion, and I've been racking my mind trying to remember what it was for the whole week. And just now did I realize, he suggested that I put the QR code as part of the announcements for SoundCloud so that everybody could just... Put their phones up there and get the SoundCloud. and i completely forgot mate i'm so sorry i literally remembered as dennis came up to together yeah, dennis come up to read so but we will we will do that that's an excellent okay. you did excellent so that's an excellent suggestion we're going to have that up there so yeah so you can catch up on those for today without the qr code if you want to find it come and speak to me or see dennis and uh we can get that for you all right Big question. What is salvation? What is salvation? In the simplest of terms, salvation is that moment in which God picks us up from the miry clay and takes us into Himself. We can talk about the fact that there is a whole kind of end time salvation. There is a term for that. It's eschatology. We can also talk about the fact that... That there is an end of days salvation. We call that soteriology. These are all different terms theologically. Because they mean different things to different people. But at the end of the day they come down to this one question. People of God, do you believe that God loves you? (laughs) Then you are saved. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Then, Sorry, let me clarify. Then you merit salvation because of God's love. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? Then you are saved. Do you understand? It is actually that simple. Everything else, the other 66 books in the Bible, are all about how we honor and glorify that moment with all of our lives. Jesus says that all of the commandments can be summed up in this. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Now, we always focus on the second part, don't we? And we ask the question, who is my neighbor? Is it the one who helps, who lives next door to me, who helps cut my lawn? Yes. Is it the one who cuts me off in traffic and makes me say some words that I really shouldn't say in church? Yes. Is it the one That chides me and confronts me and challenges me. Oh Lord, yes. I told you I was going to go old school today. Um, So there is something to be said for that second part that we need to be aware of. But we're not focusing on that today. We are focusing on the first part. And I undersold it because you need to understand. Jesus actually said, love the Lord your God. Number one, with all your Mind, with all your, and with all your being, your soul. Now, yes, some translations say soul. Some translations say being. It's the same thing. I like being because I believe Jesus was saying, "With your hand, love the Lord your God. With your foot, I bet you didn't have to do that. <laughs> love the Lord your God." Oh, that was a stretch. (laughs) With your belly. Love the Lord your God. Quick question. How can you love the Lord with with your belly? When you sing. Wow. Oh, I like that. That's very good. For those of you listening online, the answer was when you sing. When you sing from deep in your core. I love it. That's good. Not the answer I was looking for, but very good. When you fast. When you say, Lord, in this moment, I'm going to withhold for you so that you can take the place of that, which I'm no longer consuming or participating in. So Jesus says, love the Lord your God with everything that you are, because out of that love comes that worthiness for us to be saved. I have two sermon illustrations for you today, and they're both brief, but I feel like they're very relevant. The first is that uh, while well, we were at our state conference a few weeks ago, uh, I met many colleagues, many colleagues who, who for the first time had met my daughter, Betty. She was one of our representatives. And I was very proud to walk around to the nearly 500 members of our synod and introduce her. And she was very shy and accommodating. Um, but uh, every time I did, they would say, Oh, it's one. And how many children do you have? And I would say six. <laughs> and those that did not faint, would say, well done. And I would say, but I didn't do anything. And I'm, I mean, seriously, think about it. I didn't carry them for nine months. I didn't feed them when they were babies. I barely changed nappies. No, I did hardly anything. I, sh- I said to them, give credit to my wife. Let's give, a, let's give a, an applause for moms, all the moms. Let's give them the credit. My my word. I would say to them, no, it's not me. I didn't do it. (laughs) But thank you all the same. That's what it's like with salvation. When we get to heaven, angels are going to be patting you on the back. They're going to be like, yeah, welcome. We're so happy that you got it. You got it. You're well done. Good on you. Well done, faithful servant. And you're going to be like, But I don't deserve to be here. They're like, we know. (laughs) Still, God's love has brought you here through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is salvation. The second illustration I have for you is this. There's a lot of people in the life of the church who feel unworthy of glory. I've heard that term, term, term many times. And I'm I'm unhappy with that. Because that tells me that people think that they can earn a place in heaven. And if we think that, we've got it all backwards. It's like me telling my children, you have to earn earn being my child. No, it's not that. Being being one of my children is sometimes a privilege, sometimes a chore. Um, (laughs) But... They haven't earned it. They haven't done any work to get into that place. But they are meritorious of being called my children. Of receiving my love. And of being in my life and having that relationship with me. This is what it means to be a child of God, my friends. A dear friend of mine was pastoring in a small church up in the northern suburbs. And it was a church that was very well known in its local area. Although being a small community, it had a prominent place in its community. Does that sound familiar? And somebody called them and said, we'd like to come to your church and hand out tracts for our particular religious um, school. And my friend was very dubious of this because he knew that what was attracting these people was not the members of the congregation, but... The location, the idea that they were in this, in this location that was well known in the community and they wanted, to be, they wanted to attract others while they were there outside and having tacit approval for this activity and this theological um, pamphlet that they were handing out. And, and my friend said, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We, we, we are a community of believers that have a lot of different diversity and I can't say that my people will all be comfortable with what you're proposing to do. And the person on the phone got very angry, a Christian got very angry and said, well, you're, you're part of a church that's full of sinners anyway. And my friend simply said, yes, which church isn't? See, that's the starting place. We start with an acknowledgement that yes, we are unworthy. But we end in a place that if we buy into that unworthiness and make it a defining feature of our lives, we undercut the effectiveness of the cross. For this to be effective, we must begin by acknowledging, yes, we are sinners. But then we move from there into... We are redeemed by Christ and our children of God. And that's, that is what salvation is all about. That God has taken that which is unworthy and has made it beautiful, perfect, wonderful. And you are sitting right here today. And He desires to have you with, you, with Him. Not for one day, not for a thousand years, but for eternity, my friends eternity That's a word that we say that is almost meaningless to us because we don't comprehend what something being eternal actually means. But this is what Christ's work means for us. So we're going to very quickly dive into Romans 4 and what Paul has said to us about this. And I want to pray and I want to ask that in your heart, in your mind and in your entire being... You are ready to receive His words for this day. Father, bless us with an understanding of this. And may Your grace rain down upon us right now as the sweet rain that is cooling down the earth. May it be a blessing for our knowledge and understanding. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Betty. Now, what do we find? We find that Paul is talking to the early church in Rome. And he is describing to them this situation. There is Abraham. And the Jewish people were teaching that the Torah. Was the defining factor. And that the Torah. Somehow blessed Abraham. And that righteousness through Jesus Christ. Which came even later. Then blesses us in the same way. But that was confusing. Thank you Solomon. Because. Abraham came first, then the Torah, then Christ. And you might be asking yourself the same question that I asked when I was a chubby, wee little bubby sitting in the front pew and my dad was preaching. And that was How can the righteousness of Jesus Christ redeem Abraham? One comes after the other. I can't take sugar out of coffee when I put it in there, can I? One comes after the other. But this is what Paul says. Paul says that God is eternal. God is what? This is why I said to you, He wants you for eternity. Eternity doesn't just mean from this point onwards. It means from back then. He wants to catch you here when you needed Him most. And he wants to take you and carry you and hold you, and then in this moment, where you finally turn around and go, "Oh God, you've been there all along," he goes, "Yes, I was with you then. I was with you then, and I will be with you there." Thank you, much. Paul argues that the Torah justified Abraham. That Abraham was living that Torah lifestyle before the Torah came into being. That it was revealed to him by God, by an eternal God who knew and understood what that law would mean and what it would translate to. You could even go on to say that he was a Jewish person before Judaism was invented. That would be accurate. But here's the thing, I would say to you that Abraham was a Christian before Christianity was invented. Why? Because if the Torah justifies him, the cross of Jesus Christ redeems him. Brings him into that deep and anointing presence of God. This is what the apostle says. Thank you, son. If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to brag about. But not before God. Scripture says, Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him in righteousness. We all have bank accounts, credit cards. We know what this means, don't we? There was a debt and that debt was paid off. But in the original language, the word here is that an attribute was assigned him. You see, Abraham took on the features of righteousness before the Holy Temple, before the Torah, before Christ. Why? Because the eternal God was revealing this to him and was powerful enough to impart that upon him. That's why he changed his name. Because he could no longer be that man From Ur, who had wandered around with all the pagans and everything else that was going on. He needed to be a new person. And he was stamped with a new name. A name that changed him and prophesied what he would be. The father of many nations. In this church today, we are many nations. This is why I say, the work of Christ redeemed Abraham also. Thank you, Saul. In Genesis 15, verses 5 to 6, we see that God takes Abraham outside. And this point is called Abram. And he says to him, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed in God and he was credited to him as righteousness. You see, way back then, Genesis 15 is very early on in your Bibles. If you have a Bible with you and you put your thumb in Genesis 15 and then hold up the rest, you see, it's mighty thick. There's a lot that happens afterwards. But I want to tell you something. The work of the cross is here. And I would go so even so far as to say that the work of the cross can be found in Genesis 3. Where Adam comes before God. And he's saying, God, the woman tempted me. And God says, you will be punished for this. But listen, a day will come when the serpent will attack the child of the woman. And he will crush the serpent's head. That, my friends, is Jesus. Jesus overcoming the very evil that was first unleashed in the world all the way back then. Now, whether you believe in this figuratively or literally, what we need to comprehend and understand is that the story of the Old Testament is so relevant for this because it paints a picture of the fact that we are sinners from way back then. But from way back then, God was at the work of revealing His goodness, His kindness, His grace, His redemption for us. That's something we need to hold on to. So to say today that somehow. I am unworthy and that unworthiness precludes me from the effective work of the cross. Is to undo all of the Bible. All the way back to Genesis 3. Do you believe in the Lord my friends? Let it be credited to you as Righteousness. Thank you, Saul. So in Romans 4.13, Paul explains it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. That same faith that we live, that we work in today, that you pledged about. That is that work of God. Thank you, so. Now, there is a conflict within the life of the church because some people say, well, no, hang on a minute, we need works. Works are a demonstration of the faith and I agree with that. And I want to say to you what James said. Let's emphasize faith because faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Well, I will say, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by faith. My deeds. This is why we do everything we do. And if that faith is salvific, if it is what saved Abraham, if it is what saves us, then that which we do... There's a person in this church, I feel led by the Spirit. There's a person in this church who mops and vacuums, and I'm not going to name them. But they do it without complaint, without issue. I love them. Can I say that? Is that alright? Not that I have favourites, no. But I just, I cannot express to you what a blessing it is for me as I'm journeying out in the world and I'm hearing all these ministers complaining and talking about how their churches are abusing them and taking advantage of them and making them do the vacuuming. And I think about this person and I'm like, praise you, Lord. Praise you for the salvation work and the faith that is at work in that person's life that has given them the power to pick up a vacuum cleaner and bless this community. Praise you for the voices that lead us in worship. Praise You for the pastoral carers that go out and hold the hands of the sick and the tired and those that cannot come to church. Praise You, Lord, for those that prepare our Holy Communion for us because I'm preparing the service here doing the worship. I could do all these things and pastors all over the world do them all by themselves. And you end up feeling like you're carrying the church on your shoulders every Sunday. But that's not the goal. That's not the idea. We've been through a season of discipleship so that we can all understand that everything that we do matters. It matters to us as a community. But above all else, it matters to who? God. That's right. He sees what you do. The offering of your heart, your talents, your time. And He wants you to know right now that He loves you for it. And that it blesses him. Just like that person that picks up the vacuum cleaner. Blesses me. So, thank you, so. Let us conclude with this. Titus 3, verses 4 to 7. But when kindness and the love of our God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having hope for eternal life. At our state conference recently, we had a big decision to make. The future of the uniting church may be very different from the one we have now. There are people talking about dissolving the presbyteries, making one centralized body, managing churches either much more or significantly less. Don't worry, there's nothing being decided right now, but we wanted to express whether or not the 500 members of the state conference were warm to the idea. One of the presenters came up from Sydney, from the head office. He told us that they had been in fasting and prayer for 40 days. And in that time, they felt a deep, heavy conviction that the church needs to change to serve the 21st century Australia. And as part of that conviction, this gentleman decided to go onto one of the artificial intelligences on the internet isn't it amazing? We once used to go to oracles and soothsayers, and now that's been replaced with technology. Anyway, he put in the AI, the structure of our church and what it looks like. And the image that the AI came back with was that of a flower behind a chain link fence. That goodness. And beauty were being restrained, were being made inaccessible to those for whom God was at work and whose hearts longed to see a church that would welcome them, disciple them, grow them and replenish them to the eternal God that put that feeling in their hearts in the first place. I share this with you, not as a sign of despair, but as a sign of hope. Because dear friends, we need to have a hope. That that beauty, that hope that is behind that chain link fence, is about to be revealed and released for the whole world. Amen? And who can do that? It's you and me. It's you and me in our sharing that love of God beyond our community. Beyond who we are. In acknowledging that yes, we are unworthy. But we are made worthy in Christ. And just like the, the apostle describes the children of Abraham. We then go on forwards. Into a hope and a future. Not just for tomorrow. Tomorrow. Not just until the end of days, but for eternity. For we serve an eternal God. I know I prefer to finish my sermons on a bit of a higher note, but I, I feel that God is speaking to each one of us right now in this. And I don't want to take away from that. Because if God's speaking, friends, you know I'd better shut up. So let us pray. And ask Him to speak in our lives. God, I praise You for this moment. I praise You for revealing to us that salvation is not earned. But that Father God, it is something that we have received through the grace in Jesus Christ. And that is affirmed in us in the faith that we express every day. I praise You that You are an eternal God and that You love us. So speak to us in this moment, I pray in Jesus' name. And the people of God say, Amen.